In this first episode of The Pivoting Pasture, Kenny Strick and Stu discuss the liminality, that in-between place that you may find yourself. Before a job, after a job, ministry position, calling, maybe something that happens suddenly, maybe something that happens gradually. It may be that you are in a position, but you just feel like you're in the desert and traveling in between where you thought you were and where you're going and so we kind of dive into that but we end up in a whole lot of uh, different points of pivot in this conversation discussing mentoring uh, race relations and family so i hope you enjoy our first episode together Uh, we're gonna keep doing this we just like hanging out together we've known each other for a lot of years Um, first met in 2006 or 2006 I think is when I met these guys but they knew each other even before that so these are these are friendships that span a lot of years a lot of seasons of ministry and um, man we just like hanging out together and checking in with each other each week and decided um, maybe we'll share some of this stuff uh, out there and see if it helps encourage uh, somebody else that's in the journey of ministry calling and vocation and we'd love to be in contact with you so Give us a holler, give us a share, and let's get into this first episode with The Pivoting Pastor. Do you guys, do you guys like the, the liminality topic? Are you cool getting, getting into that today? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we're going to go a lot of other places anyway. Does it, I mean, just because we have a topic doesn't mean we stay on it. That's boring. Well, I... <laughs> I, I think I think we go as the conversation kind of goes, you know. But but that's a good starting point, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, to to kick it off, do uh, let's let's do some some brief introductions now. I'm imagining down the road, maybe we if 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 we get into this podcasting thing, that we kind of take we kind of take an episode and each one of us kind of share a little bit about our journeys and the re- and we can get grilled by the other two. You know, asking questions, bringing up memories, you know, um, <clears throat> sharing dirty laundry that we know about each other from experiences. Perfect. Yeah, somebody, so, somebody, somebody I, I brought up a memory of five years ago where, where I was down in Baltimore and I did a youth retreat with Stretch. And this, this other person that we, we both now know connected to him, I'm presuming, when he spoke at NYC. And... Um, so when this memory came up, this person's mind was totally like categorically like, you know, confused because she was like, how does these two worlds come together? Because she's only ever known me in my current context. So she literally writes on Facebook, how the heck do you know each other? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I've known this guy for a long time. You know? Long time. Just long totally, time. How, totally blown away. How does, how does the Canafrican and the kid from West Philly, how, how, how do they love Canafrican. live in the same realm? Let, let me give Dude. you one word. Let me give you one word. It's, it's a Middle Eastern word. Right. Um, not very many people are familiar with it. It's Nazarene. That's all you need to know. Nazarene. Done. Uh, what good so, could come from there, though? <laughs> exa- well, here we are. Here we are. You be the judge. Case in point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's let's just do. I'll do some introductions for us on the front end of this thing when we get going, um, like pre pre recorded stuff. But 
let's hear from each one of us name context like where you're living um, as we're talking about liminal liminality i think it's important to kind of frame where we're coming from with it so name context calling many years in ministry and what your current current situation is yeah. I'm stretch uh, i live in boston massachusetts i uh my parents got saved when i was young and so it it changed our life and we stumbled into this nazarene thing and um it felt like there was a family connection like it just it felt like our people so um went to nazarene school became the youth pastor at a nazarene college and we we just figured we just set up shop doing youth ministry and so we we did that for the next 20 five 26 years they called me back to the college church as lead pastor um didn't really think i was thinking about lead pastoring but was was happy to say yes to the lord and um so this last six months we've retired from from local pastoring and have been speaking at all the large gatherings that have been happening during um covid so uh none so We've been just sitting here on the porch um, in the uh, in the in-between time. Um, uh, I'm married uh, and have two daughters with uh, one that's married, one that is uh, a high school English teacher. And life is good, but life's a little weird. <laughs> Amen. Stu? Yeah, Stu Williams, uh, all the way here from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, it's actually a really nice day. I, I don't know what it's in Fahrenheit, but it's like warm, you know, and it's like <laughs> I, can, I can walk outside with shorts. Warm is the same in Fahrenheit as it is in Celsius, just, <laughs> just so we're clear on that. That's perfect. So what's that, like 13 degrees? I don't know. <laughs> I can't do the math. Now, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's probably in the 80s Fahrenheit. Is that is that warm? That's crazy hot. Yeah, I'm yeah. about to find out. Yeah, well, I, let's see if my guessing is right. But yeah, I pastor a church here. Um, actually, similar to you, stretch like uh, it was a church that I kind of attended as a college student when I first mm -hmm. moved to Canada. I'm originally from South Africa, and uh, kind of volunteered. They pulled me into this whole idea of, oh, it's great to volunteer. You love the youth, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and then that kind of became the lens for ministry, I think. That's kind of where, mm. okay, maybe this is the thing I need to do. So so I was in youth ministry for many years. And then uh, in 2009, I was, uh, you know, asked if I would come back to Calgary. I was working in Toronto and be the pastor of this church. Uh, married 21 years, three kids, 17, uh, 15, and 14. And uh, yeah, like, I think that's, I think that's what, I, what I'd say about myself at this point. Um, stretch, it is, it is 52 degrees Fahrenheit in Calgary. It's, <laughs> that's, it's warm. Oh my it's gosh. Warm. Okay. How are you surviving? Are you okay? <laughs> Okay, it's it's fifty nine. We should, we should. It's fifty nine in Nampa. It's eighty two in Boston. It's warm in Boston. It's going to be seventy one tops in in Calgary today. <laughs> oh my word! You better get a sweater. 
Thank you, Stu. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, All I'll right. Get, I'll get the conversion thing right. I never do, man. I don't know how to do yeah. that stuff. I think it's just warm. I, I mean, I should have left it alone. I should have left it alone, man. Just warm. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm Kenny. I'm in the Boise, Idaho area. Um, <clears throat> I'm a, a volunteer director with uh, young adults, uh, part of my my church here. My my calling is youth ministry. Um, specifically and early on and a lot of years on that and then into missions um and then kind of a combination of those things working with young adults and missions uh and then i worked for a nonprofit for a while until covid got laid off because churches are going on mission trips and so uh, that was kind of my role with the nonprofit and so i've been in this um like a lot of people this pivoting position so this this pivoting pastor podcast idea that we're kind of tooling around with here um, is coming out of, of all, everybody's kind of thrown into fruit basket upset. It's like a big youth group game that never ends. No one knows how to play and you should have killed it before it died. You know? <laughs> um, so my, my current situation is uh, we're just kind of waiting on the Lord for what he's going to bring next, because that's what I've learned from my other seasons of in between liminality. Um, uh, traversing these these spaces where we're not sure what's supposed to happen next, which we're all kind of in right now. Um, but I'm doing some some gig work and some side projects and kind of whatever comes up and just uh, really valuing um, flexibility of schedule overall and, and working other stuff into that. But that's, that's kind of me. Us in nutshells, the rest is going to be unpacked here. Um, Stuart, liminality. I just like hearing you talk about it. So why don't you give us like a, a working definition of what this topic is? Is he muted? Can you hear him stretch? I'm no. sorry. I, am I good? Am I good now? Were you trying to be funny? You were giving all the golden nuggets while I was <laughs> muted and now. That was the best thought I had so far. Oh. So. Kenny, you should have heard it, man. Oh, my oh I missed it. <laughs> so deep. That'll preach. Um, yeah, no, uh, liminality, kind of in between place, right? Like, um, my point of reference actually is kind of more sociological, like uh, Van Gennep and, and, and Turner and those guys defined the concept. And a lot of the research around tribal cultures and the way that kids are transitioned from being kids to adults within, you know, tribal setting uh, kind of understands this ritualization process of leaving the community into a ritually significant place. That's kind of the liminal space. And then eventually moving out of that space back into the community where they can be accepted as an adult. So it's kind of this in-between space. It's deconstructive in one way because certain things have to end in order for you to become open, ready, for what comes. And um, it's, it's a concept that has been applied in many, many different ways. Like, I mean, theologically, we can speak about in between places, you know, uh, anything from Israel's wilderness, wilderness desert experience to the cross of Christ is a liminal, can be a liminal space. And so um, deconstructive, tough place, the end of things, but also opens us up to the potential for something else. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what I would, what kind of how I would frame it and, uh, and so on. Yeah. 
I, I think my first uh, introduction to the term liminality probably came in the sh in the book, The Shaping of Things to Come. Right. Um, and Stuart, you introduced that book to me. Yeah. And I, I think I uh, Fro uh, Frost and Hirsch wrote that in 2003. Yeah. Um, and I was just so drawn to it because you've got one of these guys that's an Australian, but right. a part of the greater kind of global Western culture perspective. One of these guys is originally from South Africa. Right. Right. And a part of this greater Western cultural and, and global church perspective. But they're making this kind of commentary and, and analysis overall of, of the USA, Canada kind of uh, Western. Kenny? Can you guys still hear me? No, I can hear can you. you still hear? Yeah, okay. I can hear okay. you. I got you now. Stretch is just messing with me. <laughs> um, yeah. But but they give they they gave this perspective that myself as as living in the U.S. I I, I resonated with it, and and how they talked about like you know the church the church being. Um, uh, you know, I don't know if this is, I'm borrowing phrases from other places, but more of this liquid state, not a solid state. And it doesn't matter if you rearrange the furniture and, and how you set up the chairs and where you move the worship band. People don't care, change the mission statement or paint something or do, people don't care about that. It's community. It's engaging together in mission and communitas, but that how Western Christianity is entering this liminal space of not really knowing what's next, but thinking that they were the center of the community and moving more towards uh, an open set rather than a closed set of who's in and out. And so there's a lot of stuff in there, but for me that came with understanding of, about liminality being the space of, okay, we were here, but now we're recognizing we're in a different space and we're not quite where we're going yet, which is kind of the story of the kingdom of God, um, that God's you know drawing us into his future kingdom. But Frost and Hirsch, the shaping things to come, and then it just exploded on, other authors that I started reaching into and then talking with you guys sitting around a table with the trainers and kind of digging into some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's uh, I, I can see it generationally. My, my parents, like my dad signed up for the Vietnam war because he believed in the cause. He believed what the politicians were saying, why we were in it. And he wanted to go and like really do this good work. Wow. And I think if that situation were happening today, there'd be such a cynicism, such a distrust, like, I mean, because it feels like, it feels like that and in between time is where young adults have been asking this question for a long time. Like, is everything an illusion? Is, is everybody not, are they all projecting something that actually is not really true? And like my parents' generation, they didn't seem to dig that deep into that. And yeah. so they were like shocked when things, when a scandal broke, because they were like, oh my word, I, I thought this was true. Where the young adults I'm living around are never shocked by a scandal or a shooting or um, a crisis. They're like, yeah, because this is what we live in. This is the reality. Everything is sort of an illusion, and the cynicism is kind of runs deep. And I feel like where I'm at in the in-between generation of my parents who are 75, I'm 50, and young adults at 25 are 
I'm, I'm in, in the, I saw the, the awakening of all the news, all the knowledge, all the information coming out. Now we can see behind the curtain, we see that the wizard is not necessarily the Wizard of Oz, but just a man trying to do some good things with a big microphone. And I don't, I haven't felt as cynical and I've been able to, I feel like I've been able to bridge the gap between my parents and the young adult, bring them together to some medium place. But between our virus and my life situation, you can, I, 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 I relate more to the young adult now where you're starting to ask, quite necessarily asking before, like, is like I don't. I still don't believe everything is illusion. I'm not. I'm not cynical like that. But I, I, I find myself at least in the uncertainties. What, what did Fuller talk about? Fuller Youth Institute was talking in uh, Growing Young about the young adult has to live in the uncertainties. Six months from now, I don't know if I'm going to have the same job, be in the same school, date the same person, be in the same relationships, live in the same space, uh, be in the same town. And my life's been pretty stable and consistent. And now retiring where, where I have, I'm, I'm kind of connected to that young adult question of, hmm, what if, what if six months from now, God calls me to this or to that or, or things change? What if six months from now, we haven't figured out this virus and we've still closed down things and churches aren't even remotely the same? And so it totally feels like this in-between space. And I just turned 50 last week. So I'm not, I didn't think the midlife was going to be a crisis, but I, I can definitely feel it being yeah. an in-between time. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know, Stretch. It looks like we're losing Kenny. Um, he's kind of hopping in and out. So He'll uh, hop back on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think one of the things about kind of liminality as a concept is is that it's um, you know it's um, it's a it's a difficult place to be, and if you're a person that wants to cling to what has been, liminality feels um, almost fatal. You know, like mm -hmm. one of the things that um, one of the things that that you know I, I often say to our you know, to, to, to my colleagues or friends is in ministry. I said, in every church, there's always a, let's go back to Egypt committee. You know, uh, mm -hmm. the, 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 the liminal place is a, is a, is a, is a tough place. And, and, and we, we want to go back to restoring things the way that they used to be. And you, you know, liminality can be applied to many things. So we can think personally about our own journeys of faith. And by the way, like, uh, you know, guys like Roll will point out that we just don't pay enough attention to transitions. We are very inept at thinking about life is going to change. We tend to, in the West, think that things are just going to be the same. We've, <laughs> so, we've, we've arrived and it's safe here, so let's right, stay here. Right, yeah. and, and, and so when that is threatened, it's, 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 it's so interruptive to what we think is, we, you know, the way life is supposed to be. And so there's, there's a part of us that that can learn perhaps from this emerging generation who have had to grow up in a culture of rapid change. Uh, some of the solid foundational things that were valued by prior generations, you know, financial stability, staying with the same 
company for 50 years, you know, all those kinds of things is not ingrained in their way of thinking about life. And yet there is something significant that this younger generation perhaps needs to learn from the older generation as well. Things like, yeah. things like, uh, commitment you know consistency right <laughs> consistency right. Uh, those kinds of things but at the same time kind of you know recognizing that i think the younger generation is forced to think very differently about what life is as a whole yeah. and yeah. and so on so 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 yeah so so liminality in that sense uh, one last comment from me on this i would say um uh, there's a there's a, a, a Canadian author, Alan Roxburgh, who's, who kind of used this term liminality and talked about um, talked about how that the church struggles um, to kind of you know figure out what its future should be because a lot of churches in the liminal space kind of think about let's recover what was right yeah. and so I think that um, even as I'm leading in COVID, which I think is a huge liminal opportunity for us where some things have to die you know in terms of ministries and stuff like that maybe we simplify maybe we coming back to what matters um i think that some faith communities are struggling with this and maybe we ought to look to people who are who are comfortable in liminal spaces <laughs> maybe mm -hmm. we should you know maybe we should give more voice to those who have traversed the uncertainty of life and um, have been in places of transition. For example, a Korean author, uh, I'm gonna mispronounce his name, so I won't say it, but I'll maybe reference it later on, but talks about how that immigrants in particular, they, they mm. understand liminality because they have- Right been, in between. They, 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 they're learning how to live in liminal spaces, right? Right. And, um, and so on. So anyway, yeah, it was just a couple of comments. Refugees, same thing, where you're, yeah. you haven't even found your homeland. You're just in between and right. you've got kids. So you've got to give right. them consistency and safety and peace and discipline, right. but you don't have what you had and you have no idea what you're going to have. Right. And that's, well, right. And, and, and giving yeah. a, a stronger voice to them they're the ones actually can lead us because I'm being asked to lead in some of those spaces, but I'm the dude who I'm sort of old school. Like I know what we come from and I, I right. kind of liked it. it. It benefited me. Right. I also understand because I've been in youth work so long that what got us here certainly is not going to take us forward, but I'm not sure I'm totally at peace in this in between time. So yeah. Yeah. that's a fascinating concept. It's like us saddling next to and really giving the microphone to those who by their lifestyle have said, oh, I, I didn't have a choice. I had to grow comfortable in the in-between. Yeah. And here's how I yeah. thrive in it. Yeah. And I, 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 sorry, Kenny, I, I, I cut you off there. Go ahead. You're, you're really soft. We can't hardly hear you. Can you hear me now? Uh, it's not much better. Barely. Barely. Is, it, is it getting any better? There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, there yeah. You go. Oh, now so, I see you. Man, there's, there's, couple of things that both of you said stretch I noticed in the in the notes before you ever started talking you were talking about how wow I'm relating to young adults right now because yeah. here we are at these places in life and man the way you guys are talking like let's let's don't be old yet okay uh I don't care if we're like you know working on our 40s and just hit 50 like you know um 50 50 is like is the new 30 stretch sorry um 
the warranty is up on some parts, but you can refurb. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure the calendar agrees with that, but it's the, I, I, if you yeah. if you say it, then I'll take it. All right. <laughs> it's not the journey. So I just turned like... 30 last week. Right. Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> it's weird uh -oh. that my daughter's 27, though. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Time uh, travel. It's 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 upon us. Um, I I've I'm trying to learn from these young adults that are going through this. The ones that are at that kind of traditional college age. Yeah. Um, and and, you know, in that in that 18 to 22 ish. And then and then beyond that, after 22, there's this kind of another phase you move into in, in, in the 20s where we're still young adults, but we kind of we've done a little bit of life now in our 20s and we don't quite relate yeah. in the same way to the ones that are younger, but they're kind of our friends or our peers or siblings. Um, but they're at a different place. So in ministry in particular, they're processing and thinking about things different. There's some of the same issues that are part of the same generation. Um, but I'm trying to learn from them on how they're on how they're navigating it, but they're but they're looking for guides too. They're looking for people to to, to point the way. And so I feel like that that's that's on us, but we're not telling people what to do or where to go or how to do it, but we're discovering it together. It's the things that we've known all along that we want to be doing in ministry and in life of like doing things in life. It's the work of the people together, but more often than not, it's just easier for me to take the lead and just start a ministry or it's easier for other people just to go, Hey, you're really passionate about that. You, you just go lead us, just, just lead us. It's not quite the way, you know, I'm not going to tell you everything that I think, but just, just do it. Uh, case in point, I've been telling uh, one of the pastors at our church, uh, I'm not starting, we're going to facilitate some stuff, but if something like a Bible study is going to start up for young adults, um, they need to do it. Well, yesterday took me out to lunch, wine and dine me, and then sprang the, I think, I think you should start up a Bible study. I'm like, that is the opposite of the philosophy we've been talking about. I don't, I don't, I, not like I'm doing a lot right now, but I am to try to make ends meet. But I don't got time to start up a Bible study that nobody comes to. I just, yeah. I'm not interested in, in, in doing that. But I want those young adults to guide me towards what they want and then help facilitate and empower them. It's that Levitical thing of like, all the men over 50 stopped serving and now we're going to invest in the 20s and like help them do the things that they need to in the church. But they're not wanting to do the things in the church that sometimes we think are the necessary things. They're going, it can be a different way. And so it takes the Bible that. study worked, a Bible study worked for them. And when somebody started it, it kind of caught a spark in one town I heard about. So if you do that and walk that same road, we've got some, we've, we've got some proven results that might come from that. And that's our problem, right? We're always stuck to the past and, yeah. and what got us here. Think of, think of how many campgrounds that are now out of business or our Walmart parking lots that were fought for or even set up because somebody found a holy moment there and they were like, let's put some rocks, let's make an altar, let's pitch a tent, let's actually pave the ground now, let's claim it as our own and let's have this happen for the next 108 years because right. revival happened here. And I've, I've literally been asked by some older people when, when we sold off a campground, how what's your plan then to get people saved and sanctified <laughs> and i'm like wait your only plan was to buy a campground and hope that the spirit revisited like R on the 109th repeat. year yeah because that was the plan and they were literally asking like but that's how it happened for me 
Right. I cannot conceive of a way that it would happen any better for a young person. So you're sacrificing the future because you want the money now to plant some churches or to do some things and you're going to sell off this campground. I cannot see past my past. And mm. you're right, the refugee or the immigrant or the young adult might be able to at least sit with us and ask questions like, wait a minute, maybe have you considered, or this is how I improvise and may do. And I, I got to saving knowledge or uh, a sanctifying relationship. And I'm finding holiness and it, I'm not even attending church right now. So yeah. are there other ways? I mean, isn't this, isn't this virus going to forcing us to do it? Like to just yeah. look and go, what, because what if actually people decide I'm not going to gather with a large group again, I'm just not doing, already doing it. Right. Yeah. But I mean, what if that lasts like five years from now or a generation from now where they're just like, we got yeah. out of that discipline. We actually thought it was unwise to do that. How would the church be the church? Yeah, yeah. And who's going to lead us in those conversations? Because I, I know as the as the new thirty year old, but but if but <laughs> there's certainly a lot of mileage on those thirty years. I'm I could be pretty fixed into thinking. You ask me what a youth ministry looks like, and I, I would give you an answer that you would go, yeah, that that fits. But you would look back at books in thirty years from now and go, no, thirty years ago, and go, wow, Stretch's definition kind of sounds like how it looked in 1979 too. Right. And so to reimagine and reconceive of future possibilities that meet our current realities, we're going to need to ask different questions, but we're going to need different people prompting old heads to yeah. ask new questions. I, yeah, I, I come at this, you know, pastorally in some ways, because um, the, the whole concept... You actually of, are a pastor, so yes, you should come at it pastorally. Thank you, Stu. Not bad. Well, not let, bad. Me, let me just offer this this uh, response to that. You've never ceased being pastors either. Oh, <laughs> so, well, thank uh, you, Stu. Just so you know, uh, in case you're, you're trying to run away from it, you know. Uh, you can't outrun... <laughs> I'm already in Joppa. I've got my ticket in my hand. You can't outrun the calling, right? Uh, one of one of the things that that I think, um, like from a pastoral perspective, like you know, this whole concept of luminality, I've explored it in 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 in, in the degree I did, and one of the the, the revelations, if, if you will, that came to me is that we don't really have to go seeking liminal experiences; they happen, right? So, for example, some some somebody somebody you know loses a job, right, and their whole sense of value, security, everything is threatened. And it thrusts them into a place where they kind of now questioning things that they didn't think they'd question, like what is my, where's my self-worth come from? You know, where's my value? Uh, or someone becomes sick, you know, like, you know, young woman in our church, newly married, diagnosed with breast cancer, um, introverted, starts going to chemo and radiation therapy and and, and, and seems to develop a friendship with people in ways that I hadn't seen her do before. And so liminality is kind of this, this space that often we thrust into, not because we wanted it or even realized we needed it. In fact, Richard Raw, when he writes about falling upwards, he says, we don't enter, he calls kind of the, you know, you know, spirituality for the two halves of life. He says, the first half is the container, right? We're just trying to build our identity, build our families, build our careers, 
all of those things, a necessary container. He says, but, you know, from a spirit, Christian spiritual perspective, we have to move beyond that to kind of where life is about. How do we give back? How do we live out this faith? How do we contribute? And he says, we often don't get to the second simplicity on our own. We, we, we either, you know, through failure, through, through coming to the end of ourselves, through things not working out the way we thought, get thrust into that. And so there's something about liminality that I think is important to recognize is that one, uh, the reason why the kid who's taken out of the tribe and, and put into the ritually significant place doesn't lose his mind in the liminal space is because he knows this is a part of a, a process. You know, he's not going to be living in liminality uh, for the rest of his life. And, and yet at the same time, there seems to be an absence. And I think Raw would, would, would probably speak to this. There seems to be an absence of those who have traversed the liminal experience well, so that when others are going through it, they can actually say, hey, you know, there's some good deconstructive stuff that's going to happen. There's come some identity stuff that's going to happen, right? Yeah. Like just think about, you know, when we go through different things, we, we tend to ask questions about who we are. And then I started to think about how God named Israel right in the desert, their liminal space, and, and why he names them there, you know, holy people, priesthood, all those things. And, and so there's something about the guides we need to become. Um, and I've always asked this question, you know, when it comes to young adults or youth, okay, who's going to mentor them? I think the deficiency of mentoring, or however you want to frame that, comes out of a deficiency of being mentored. So we don't, we don't necessarily have... Huh. We don't have people who have, have kind of said, hey, I've walked that road <laughs> and you will walk that road. But hey, you know, th th there's a way in which there's some important things that has to happen in that stage. It's not just get me out. So the two, the two, the two natural inclinations is let me get out of this and go back to what I've known or let me jump out of this prematurely and, and, and not have to deal with it. And both inclinations are wrong. And so when it comes to like empowering young adults, I think we have to be, we have to think, and Kenny, I know there's, there's some years between us in terms of age. So uh, I, I'm, I'm tempted to kind of look at life. A <laughs> you know, that midlife thing is, is, is yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a liminal place, you know. <laughs> we all know you're more mature than me, Stu. Just no, no, what it no, is. no, no, no. I, I'm just saying the way that I've, I view myself these days as, is shifting from, I used to be the young guy in the room and, you know, uh, that now I'm kind of asking myself more the questions of how do I help others to navigate life well? How do I help empower and, 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 and be yeah. that, that, and, and that, that means less hands-on, that means more kind of encouraging, walking alongside, um, you know, offering mm -hmm. the, 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 the conversations where they are needed. Um, and yet at the same time, not just throwing all of the experiences I've been through away and saying that doesn't matter to this new generation. It desperately needs to become a part of their own experience as well. Those who walk through these things. Well, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't quite, I didn't quite say that the way I wanted, but you know what I'm trying to say. We, we all know that, I mean, between the three of us and our experiences in life and ministry, mentoring is rare right and 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 uh good like life-giving mentoring 
is is even rarer. Right. <laughs> it's even right. less frequent. And I, I think I think we um, leaders have really good intentions of hiring staff people that they're going to mentor, and they kind of like make that a part of the conversation of hey i really want to journey with you we're going to do this together and then you get in and that you've been that staff person and you get into it and you're like this is not at all what the interview conversation was about and it's been two years since you and i did the things that you said we were going to and that's i feel kind of alone in this i mean how many conversations have you had like that um and how many times have you been in a situation where you were like, that's kind of where you're at, but then you thought, oh, I want to change that for somebody else. Like when I'm like, you know, Stretch, you've been in Lee Pastor Ministry, Stu, you are. Um, it's just, a, it's a different role there. And, and, and you've got different responsibilities and you may not have the bandwidth to actually do that thing that you really, really intended to do. I'm not saying that you guys did that, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always try to encourage young adults and other pastors um, when I'm having those, you know, we're having those conversations, just sharing life together of like, look, mentoring is your responsibility. Like you have to go find that person and it's probably not going to be your lead. It's probably not going to be your lead pastor. That might happen on the job. You're going to learn some stuff, some things you want to know, some things you don't want to know. But if you want mentoring, you, you're going to need to go find it. Now, um, yeah. With, no. But with, with young adults, to me, the discipling is like, there's people, we're in community. They're hungry. They want to grow spiritually. Like, I'm going to invest in them, and they're going to, they may respond. I'm trying to disciple them. But the mentoring vocationally when it comes to ministry yeah. Um, if I'm expecting the person that hired me to do that and, and to help me traverse those liminal, they might help me traverse the liminal spaces, but I'm going to have to seek that soul care on my own. Like I'm going to have to make sure that that's happening and seek those people and those conversations out. So what, what you said, Stu, about there's, there aren't mentors because people haven't been, haven't been, um, mentored. They haven't had mentoring. I think that's, I think that's really, that's really true, but we can help change that. Um, and I want, I want to hear what you, I want to hear what you have, have to say about that. And then at some point I, yeah. I, I've got some, I've got some personal traversing that I would like to confess. Yeah. A, a couple of thoughts has jumped out as you were talking about that one. I think, um, I think there's this, 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 um, this misconception that mentoring happens out of the strengths of what we know and our ability, our, uh, you know, our successes. I mean, the liminal experience is one that creates the opportunity for an authenticity in relationships that, that because everybody's in the same space. So for example, the woman I spoke about who, you know, uh, with a cancer diagnosis, she became open to relationships she would never have otherwise been open to, right? Because there's a common thing that drew her to others. And I think when it comes to mentoring, I think, and, and this is just a concept I'm exploring, right? Like this is not, this is not something that, that I have really done yet. But I think there's something about recognizing that sometimes coming alongside somebody means being open and vulnerable about your own liminal journey. And we tend to mentor out of competencies and successes as opposed to the real life stuff that we all go through. Like, mm -hmm. so when, 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 the, when the three of us are talking here about our own liminal journeys, that is super instructive and helpful for me because there's a reality, to, there's a reality to this Christian life 
that often is neglected when we come when we come to kind of trying to make disciples you know it's like let's make disciples out of the the good parts that we know and have experienced and the knowledge we have as opposed to the searching elements of it and it's kind of like this concept of lament in spirituality if there's no concept of lament if there's no opportunity for us to take pain and you know lack of understanding to god where do we take that right like there, 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 there seems to be then a deficiency in our spirituality that either says to us, we always have to have things figured out and understand everything. And that kind of Christian is off-putting to the world. So when it comes to mentoring, why would we presume that mentoring only happens out of like what we get and know and can control, as opposed to learning to walk alongside people saying, there are times where life is going to feel like it's crumbling and nothing makes sense. And, and yet I'm walking that journey alongside you. And so I, I think that's, I, I think that, you know, when, when it comes to every attempt that I've seen at authenticity that is programmed, it doesn't work. And, and, you know, I, I'm on my soapbox a little bit, but, but I think, I think that's, that's the gift of this kind of conversation is because listen, we want to come to it honestly. And, yeah. And I think that we often don't realize that that is sometimes the greatest gift we can give other people. So last thing I'll say, a couple walks into my, in my office and they'll say, hey, you know, life's going sideways, we're struggling in our marriage, et cetera, and so on. The only thing they want from me in the initial conversation is help us to figure out how to get out of this. And every impulse in me as a pastor, as a person who shepherds and cares for people is to want to help the sheep to get out of the pit, right? But the reality is sometimes they need to stay there long enough. Mm. They need to stay in that place long enough to actually become open to learning something that they won't learn, you know, unless they learn to walk through this honestly. And mm. so sometimes liminal, liminal opportunities are some of the most important places for formation. Like when we talk to our young people and our young adults about the spiritual life, man, let's not do what, you know, <laughs> what has been done to them, which is, this is what it looks like if you do this, this, and this. Let's be honest about the valleys and let's be honest about some things that have to come to an end. Let's be honest that we don't really have everything under control anyway I, I, that that's my my somber note on this but, but yeah. no it's it, it, there's it's not that somber there's there's some hope to that because um i learned a while ago that I, I i may have been living on the adrenaline of you know doing ministry helping uh, all, all the things that i feel like i was i was called to do and being a good husband and good, being a good father and that adrenaline, a wise person once once told me, is more akin to sort of our our, our baser animal instinct. Right. Animals live on that adrenaline all day long because they're always they're, they're they're paranoid. They're looking who's going to eat yeah. me, who's going to attack me, where am I going to get food? So they just run at that pace all the time, mm. and they never just sit with their their boredom, their mundane, or their pain. And right. Right. When marriages do that, you know, we, we run for like immediately something's wrong and our bodies are wired that way. If I, if I were to cut my finger, 
my brain, my heart, they send all the antibodies, they send the immune system, everything kicks in and goes, hey, we got trauma in the finger. Let's go, we gotta move. And so a marriage that's saying, hey, we're, we're in a rough spot here, nobody's really saying, sit with that for a minute. How about yeah. you welcome it into the room and go, so yeah. this is what the suck feels like. This is, this is what the, the lousy feels like. Okay, yeah. I'm not comfortable yeah. here, but I'm gonna sit here for a minute and be with it. Animals don't do that, you know. Our, our, if, if, if we, if we came from, you know, the cave, you know, pre, pre time, we didn't have to do that. We were in survival mode at all times. But actually, the fully functioning brain was wired to sit there for a minute, and then the wiser, more mature person is able to say, "Yeah, so let's process it. How does it feel? How did we get here?" Um, instead of just fleeing, or, or what do we, what do we usually do? We placate it. We, we, we want to numb the pain. So we, we do yeah. something. Yeah. To just yeah. Take away the pain yeah. immediately. Every doctor I've ever met with is like, so let me guess. You want to get out of here in about five minutes and you want to fix from the pain that yeah. you're in. Yeah. And what if I don't have that, but what if we journey together and actually look at some root causes and move you towards health? How's that sound? Well, the immature yeah. me says, yeah. that sucks. <laughs> give, me, give me the prescription, man. Come Sounds on, like hard work. Thanks. But actually, usually, that's where real health is. And that's where, you know, but it's hard because the, in, limin, in the liminality space, there's no rhythm. And mm. we were built for rhythm. It's why music makes such sense to us. It's why my music doesn't make a ton of sense to the, the next generation. And they're looking at my music like, hmm. Your music's too slow, it's too fast, it's too, because my rhythm doesn't make sense to their rhythm. And, right, but we were right. built for it. I mean, right. it's, it, it's, it's, we were just talking weather. It, it, I live in Boston now, it's gonna snow here, but, but right now, it ain't snowing, it ain't gonna snow. It's beautiful, it's 81 degrees and there's a nice sea breeze. I live a, a block from the beach, but it's going to snow, but in the rhythm of seasons, that's coming six months from now. We'll prepare for that. Yeah. Liminality takes away your, usual rhythm and starts to introduce you to like staccato and then uh then flatline and then back to a, a different staccato it, it, it puts you into like a different culture's music and you go i don't those tones don't even make sense to me right now and that's that that's the struggle i think that young adults feel is they're not kids anymore they're not teens anymore they're not adolescents anymore but we're not treating them or they, they know they're not a, a full mature adult yet and they're like, where's my rhythm? Where's my groove? Uh, I've, yeah, I found yeah. getting, getting thrown into um, Corona, COVID all here together, um, mm. like being challenged with, I, there's no external uh, stimuli now creating my rhythm. There's not a job. There's not a church. There's not a staff. There's not a meeting. And even a calendar. Even, we don't even know what day it is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Blur's Day every day. Right. It's Blur's Day, right? Right. Um. And and so it then it's like, okay, what kind of rhythm am I going to make? And 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 there was this little piece of me that was like, oh, well, I can I can go about my day now in a way that I can experiment with this. Like I can figure yeah. out what works for me. And yeah, I can just have some days where I don't do anything, but I I can like experiment with this. And and. And, and frankly, when I get thrown into liminal spaces, when, when I find myself, and this is different again, too, because I, I feel like transitioning between churches, whether you're staff or your pastor, 
or you know, missionary going from one place to another, ho home, host, culture context, you, um, you're kind of doing it on your own. I mean, you know other people are doing it, you know you can talk to them, but not a lot of people are doing it all together. And this one, everybody got thrown in together. Everybody had an idea of, of what we should do or what we shouldn't do. And we're still doing that. And we just keep throwing jello at it's like what flavor of jello do we want to throw at the wall today? You know, and you, you know what, Ken, I want to say something really provocative. Um, I mean, we 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 we're dealing with we're dealing with a pandemic. We're also dealing with the 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 outburst of seething injustice, right? And racial mm. issues. And here's here's what I've I'm I'm learning about luminality personally in my own journey and as I look at the Christian church and the, the, the wider community. Um, it presents the opportunity for us all to be able to relate to one another. Yeah. Like there is something about racial injustice, there is something about affluence, you know, economic disparity that we all understand keeps us from actually seeing the commonality in, in our humanity. When we go through things like I'm drawing upon this particular lady's you know, journey with cancer, the, the, the playing field was level. Everybody was dealing with this stuff. And I think, you know, I, I've, I've, I have, you know, I'm getting old enough now where I'm repeating myself, but I, I, I say things like wasted pain is the worst kind of pain. The question like that I think we need to be asking ourselves is what, what is, you know, from a, from a Christian perspective, how is God deconstructing some things in our lives to make yeah. us able to see the way that he wants us to see? Others, you know, this issue of injustice, dude, like, like there are moments in life, and I think this is what I, I really feel, and I am not a, hey, let, let, let me read the times, but there seems to be times in history and times in our life, and, and this is one of those first in my generation, shared global experiences that I think presents the church with an incredible opportunity to accomplish what it could not accomplish pre-COVID, to accomplish what it could not accomplish pre-Floyd. George Floyd, yeah. You know, th th there is something here. And, 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 and I think it requires, when we talk about pivoting, I, I think it requires the kind of leadership now that says, not, hey, how do I get my people back and up and running? But how do I actually seize the opportunity to discern what the spirit is allowing us now to see? Right. And, um, the, 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 you know, do, do you guys, does that make sense? Yeah, no, um, good, makes total sense. Makes total sense. I, I, it, I can't tell you how many of my friends of color are, are feeling a, a relief that, oh, so you see what I've been trying to show you for so long. You get it now, right? That video or that pain or this collective feeling that um, it's, it's your friend in the, in the cancer ward who's introverted and is not making good relationships or deep relationships, but all of a sudden the whole room is feeling, seeing, and experiencing what she's going through. And there's intimacy there and there's connection and there's a similar point of view. And the, so, the, things, the things that we make matter stretch just flat out, sometimes even in the church, 
the things that we draw our partisan lines around, you know, they won't drop until something more significant shows up in our lives. You know, when life is on the line, when, when we can see, you know, death for what it is, when we can see what a gift it is to be alive. I mean, that's one of the things that COVID is doing. It helps us to stop making the insignificant or not the insignificant, but making lesser things justification for the kinds of ways we live Mm -hmm. our lives. Yeah, and keeping and uh, making minor things major is, is what we're really good at. But but this flattens it out and says no no no. Let's just focus on the major things and keep them the major things. And that that, that has me, a unifying experience. Yeah, let, let me let me tell you a, a personal experience that I had with you guys, and you may not even remember this, but back in the day when we were all doing youth ministry together, some of the best ministry years. I hate to say that, man, because I'm hoping there's good years ahead. But we were in Kansas. I know. The best is yet we're, to come. We're making them. We're making them. We were in Kansas City together, and we went to a Krispy Kreme. I don't know if you guys remember this. We went to a Krispy Kreme <laughs> together, and it was. I actually, always remember my Krispy Kreme experiences. They're they're burned in my brain. It was actually one of the. Well, it was actually one of the the first times I went to Krispy Kreme, and and you guys totally you totally prepared me for the experience. Like you know, like you <laughs> you got to have a fresh donut coming off a conveyor belt, you know, and and the American and you, dream right there. And here's what we have. Here's what happened. And and I say this just because I recognized all things were not equal even then. Uh, we walked into that Krispy Kreme. All of you guys, you know, and you know what I say. You're all from the same place in terms of the U.S. And you're all kind of. You don't look. I wouldn't say you look alike because I don't. I want to compare you with Kenny. You know Hugh. what I mean? And and you. And and everybody goes through because at the front of the line, John said, "Hey, these guys are all with me." When I came to the cashier she said and and that will be and she gave me the number and i looked at her and i said i'm with these guys and she turned to john and goes is he with you uh right and 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 i remember i remember kind of standing in the back of that line going whoa what's going on here <laughs> you know what, what what is going on that was on in here? kansas city and that was in Kansas City, right? And, and I mean, so, so, so there's kind of these 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 microaggressions that I've experienced all, across mm. in my life all the time. That and, and this is I'm saying to you guys because I know you have a breadth and scope of seeing these things. You know, hopefully through the Jesus lens. I know you do that, but there's so many people who have just become accustomed. Mm-hmm to the ways in which society, the ways in which people kind of create that, you're not with us. And I feel like humanity has to be restored, you know? And in order to be restored, if if we think theologically, our baptismal identity is one of death to life. There's some things that needs to die in this season, man. And I, I, I don't want to bring our conversation just purely back to the racial issue, but man, is that ever true in our denomination? You know, you know, in, and what's, in what's life, interesting yeah. about what's interesting about the racial problem that we have and this conversation of liminality is so many white people I'm around now find themselves in this liminal space now yeah. and they're thrust into it they weren't prepared for it they had made up their mind i'm not a racist that right. whole racist thing the civil rights the slavery thing that was yeah. then 
I'm not a part of that. Mm. I, I don't see color. I've, I've decided to be colorblind or I respect my three black friends that I know. And, you know, but now they're thrust in this place, especially as Christians yeah. and in the church. They're yeah. asking questions like, what? wait, maybe we should have been talking about this in the church for quite some time. Why wasn't I uncomfortable with that back then? Why am I so uncomfortable with it now? We can't even gather as a church to talk about it. I have nowhere to go with this. And I'm not yeah. sure where we're going to go with this. And what's our prophetic voice? And what's my culpability? And so you hear so yeah. many Christians saying, I, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit back and listen. And isn't that a liminal space for a whole bunch of white people who love to take the microphone and speak and talk and write mm -hmm. and blog and, you know, and we're listening and it's this uncharted territory that we're no, now we're noticing, wait a minute, why'd that happen in Krispy Kreme and why, why did it bother me? I was there. It bothered me. Why didn't I speak into it? better yeah, it, for it, you yeah and it, for you know all, yeah. all of that 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 yeah such a liminal space now that we're thrust into yeah. that we should have been in decades yeah. ago centuries ago yeah yeah i i would say like you know there's so many complexities to this whole situation because there are people who are feeling like i should listen right now but i i and i think that's true i think i think listening is the first way we love anyone right and um, you know, my wife, my wife is, is, uh, is more drawn to me when I actually keep my mouth shut and listen to what she, she is, has on her heart. And I think that's a part of it, but I don't think, I don't think when it, whether it comes to COVID or, or whether it comes to these issues of injustice, that that's where it stays. Like I you think, exactly. But that's kind of unfortunately what the narrative has been construed as, you know, if you, if you are on this side, if you're white, you know, you have to be quiet now and, and, and listen without and talking. Listen. But, 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 but there's a difference between active listening and kind of this passivity. Mm -hmm. And listening then becomes another excuse for not being a part of the transformation and change. Mm -hmm. And it becomes an inactive, an mm -hmm. inactive way of perhaps quieting the discomfort that this moment is bringing. Um, Guys, I pastored up until two years ago, a predominantly white church as a colored South African raised in apartheid South Africa. Um, for me, this journey, this thing is, 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 has been a part of my narrative and a part of my life. And it has distorted the way I think about life. It has harmed the way in which I think about my own value and self-worth. But here's what I want to say. And you think about Miroslav Volf's exclusion and embrace, right? That incredible theological treatise on identity and otherness. One of the things that Volf argued, he said, look, guys, you know, want to know why they could keep, neighbors could kill one another in the former Yugoslavia? You know, just create a greater gap between you and another person and make them the other, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that our friendship over the years has done for me, and I, I, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm on the soapbox now already, I may as well go, is that it's closed the gap. It's closed the gap. Uh, the, 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 there's something about, you know, being in relationship with people that by virtue of that proximity does more for us as human beings 
than any philosophical treatise of otherness and identity. And the problem that we have to address, I think, both in how we speak to this new generation, young adults, and how we lead our churches, is bridging the gap between us and whoever we consider is the other. And literally, it comes back to things like proximity. You know, we cannot live in these separate ways anymore. You know, we cannot live in these divided ways anymore. We can't expect that the church will be, you know, diverse yet united in Christ when the rest of the week we're living as if we have nothing to do with one another's life. And, um, and, 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 yeah. Anyway, man, sorry. I, I'm off topic. So yeah. Well, and Stu, I think oh, you're, so you're, you're probably having to roll here pretty soon too. So I'm, I do. I yeah, just, I, I do. just, I just want you to like, like keep on sharing and everything, but I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing what you're telling me is the thing that I shouldn't do. I'm sitting back and listening and taking it. <laughs> you know, no, it is. It, it's so good. It's so good to hear like, yes, people haven't listened for quite some time and that's been part of the problem but the solution is not just everybody sitting and then just listen because there's a paralysis there too yeah. we were we, we were paralyzed because the problem was too big what are we right. going to do so yeah. we do nothing and now we're paralyzed because well i don't i don't have a role i i think i've spoken some things and i i, I probably said the wrong thing or didn't speak up at the right time so i'll just listen and this paralysis is where the enemy just has a field day saying tomorrow, later, read another book, go to another seminar. And, and it, it is, it's all about like intentionally making relationships to say, wait, let me spin around the other side of you. Oh, oh you've been looking at that the whole time. I, I never saw that person yeah. walk, walk with you through that. Let me show you where, I'm, where I've been looking, the direction I've been going. Let's start walking those roads together. Yeah. So yeah, we got to go and let's maybe just hit pause on this. And but I, I think again, I think yeah. part of the invitation, and Stu, I'm not trying to put words in your in your mouth, but I think part of the invitation that I've uh, that I'm hearing in the in the greater global cultural conversation and friendships is it's like um, don't wait for something bad to happen to get the new perspective, like <laughs> like like bridge those conversations now be in those connections now be in, ask ask some of those ask some of those things now find out where your blind spots are now don't wait for somebody to get killed to figure it out i i know we've we've all we've all wondered this um but if, if COVID hadn't happened and and george floyd um would have been killed the way that he was would would we have taken notice the way that we have i've I kind of feel guilty about that because I think that the answer is it would have been, it maybe would have been on the national news, maybe, sadly. Um, but everybody was paying attention. And, and then there were a couple other black folks that, that were killed by the police. And, and everyone went, oh, we're watching, like we're paying attention right now. Um, and, and the, the, that liminal space gave a focus for people to look, you know, everybody's kind of watching their TV and, and news. And this is one of the things coming up. We're like, no, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's messed up. That's, that's not right. We're going to, we're going to do something about that. 
but maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the election cycle, but I'm, I'm already kind of feeling like the we're moving on. Yeah. And, and if I don't stay intentional in seeking out conversations and, 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 and staying in uh, a fight for something, it's just going to glaze over until the next part, until the next tragedy, you know? Yeah. Um, I, just just a, a parting thought for, for me on this. And then I'd love for each one of us just like speak a, a sentence blessing with as many commas and conjunctions as you would like. Just kind of parting thoughts um, to end this. Um, but for the, for the pastor, for the missionary, for the person on the in-between, we've got bivocational, co-vocational, tri-vocational, whatever you want to call it, leaders and pastors that have been doing this stuff in ministry for a really, really long time. And it's just their normal posture, but it looked abnormal to the rest of us. We've got some things to learn from them. Absolutely. Um, and and they've, they've been in the in-between. They've, they've been traversing it. It's not something new. It's the way that they live their lives. So yeah. when you said that earlier about like giving, finding those people and giving them platform for voice to speak into that, I think that's, that's also what we need to be doing with our black and brown and every other culture and color specifically within our influences on the Nazarene church. Um, I mean, it was for Stu, when you came and spoke at our camp in Idaho, I was like, this is what we need to be doing. Um, one, I just like, I just wanted to be around my friend all, you know, how many years ago that was Two, uh, I wanted to meet my family three. Um, here's a guy that's a great pastor and leader Four. Uh, he happens to be from South Africa. He lives in Canada. We need all those perspectives. And uh, he's not black. He's a colored man from South Africa. Every time you told me, Stu, you're just saying that because I'm black. You know what I tell you? Because we have that, sh you know, because I spent just a, a one minute in South Africa as a kid. Right? It might be true a little bit sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, where are those voices that I'm bringing in to, to my life? Where are those voices that I'm bringing alongside the people that I'm in community with that can speak with authority and experience into it that are traversing the liminal space, whether it be a vocationally in ministry, you know, racially with, with reconciliation, um, with the refugee, with the stranger, with, you know, we, as, as pastors and ministers, we're, we're always traversing a liminal space, inviting people into it and people always not wanting to do it. Um, what if, what if we just choose to embrace the liminal as the normal and mm -hmm. act like when things are going good and, and like there's no dissonance, that that's really abnormal. It's weird. And, and we I, I guess I'm getting good. I'm getting goosebumps when you say that, man, I think our best pastoral work happens in that, in, in, in that season, in that place. Um, we as pastors, we as leaders, we as influencers need to become so comfortable with the discomfort and what 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 people need is they need someone who goes it's okay to be here it's okay to be here yeah Listen, well, I, I, yeah i i don't know what our next show will be about but i'd like to explore more this idea of of identity otherness the issue of you know race and and theology and leadership no, let's do it uh, I'd love to talk more about that, but I want to I want to qualify something real quick. Just because I'm a person of color doesn't make me the expert in the area. And, <laughs> Wait, and, well then why then let's not do the show. I need yeah. you to speak on behalf of millions. And, and how else and, are we going to learn? And, and, and Stu, from from a different angle, I've uh, we're friends, 
and yeah. uh, I'm well aware that uh, of your shortcomings, um, and you're even more aware of mine. So you're on, you're in safe space. There's no and let, there, no, and no one's no one's worried that you're the that you're the expert. Okay. Oh, that's true. That's true. And let me speak to to Kenny. He does oh, not no. speak. He doesn't speak for any other white people. Like he doesn't <laughs> represent us on. I do life. speak for all Kennys though. Everywhere. All the Kennys. Historically, all the Kennys. Yeah. Mostly oh, in, in awesome. Idaho. <laughs> Listen. Let me let, let let me pray real quick, Father. Uh, everything about you is good, and these types of conversations um, feed our soul, uh, and also um, distress us and trouble us. And it's so cool that you're not concerned <laughs> that we might be troubled. In fact, you might have been inviting us into a little mm -hmm. bit of troubled waters because you filled us with your spirit. And you said, why don't you bring some peace and some wisdom and some biblical knowledge and some, uh, some presence of the Holy Spirit into that troubled water space. And so here we are with, without expertise and without, um, without what, what feels like authority here we are just in, in front of you saying, we, your people and your children, we want to get along with each other and mm. we really want to be reconciled to you and to the world and to each other. So show us, lead us. Um, you, you've provided all the answers. We're, we're just still fumbling. And so we're, we're asking for uh, a real word from you and, and your presence as you lead us through times where we've lost our rhythm and maybe even lost our, our, our comfort zones. Um, we're wide open to the growth, maturity, and, and new revelation you might want to have for us in these spaces. So we, we say thanks. Man. That's good, man. Thanks for taking us out, Stretch. Stu, I am uh, your next thing, man. Yeah, let, listen, I, I'm going to uh, I'm going to head out to appointment. This will take a while to render to my computer. I'll send it to you later today, Kenny. Yeah, oh. fair enough, fair enough. Thanks, Love, you all. Love, you. Yeah, you, Love you. Love you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Love you guys. Okay. Talk to you later. Next week, same time. All right.